Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are drawing a line in the sand, being kind but concise as we say no with the purpose of meaning it and sticking to it. One small word, two little letters, yet for some, the hardest word to say. The awkward silence after the delivery can be deafening and cause the weak of heart to cave and backslide. Just like a gymnast strives to stick the landing, one extra step means all the difference. To complicate things, N-O can be spoken in a variety of ways where tone and volume level can make or break the intent. Wow, so much to think about before uttering this objection. No wonder we struggle with when and how to convey this simple sentiment. No, N-O, no can do. Uh Uh-uh, that's a negative. Of course not. How uncomfortable are you just thinking about it? Have no fear, literally no fear. We will explore this simple but mighty word, get to the root of our resistance, and come up with some strategies to overcome. Ready to find the positive in what might seem like the negative? No is a tough one for me. It used to be downright impossible without some sort of excuse or justification to follow. No, but but here's why. Blah, blah, blah. Do you still like me? Did that make it easier? Do you feel okay with my answer? What an exhausting thought process. Listen, someone asks something of you, knowing right out of the gate that they have a 50-50 shot. I mean, really, how many of us buy maybe? So you can say yes or you can say no. They have a 50% chance of getting what they want. You may or may not have been their first attempt, so odds are they already have a backup plan. Most things won't live and breathe by your answer, so relax. Where we fail is to consider our feelings, our time, and our capacity when giving our answer. In many cases, our only consideration is, will they be disappointed if we say no? What about your disappointment? Does that sound selfish? If you think so, keep listening. This might be where you need some help overcoming this thought process. Sarah Sai shows us how to say no without feeling guilty, mean, or selfish, finding the balance between self-care and helping others in her article found at medium.com. Have you ever felt like a doormat? Someone asks for something, a boss, a friend, a spouse, and even though you want to refuse it, you can't. And so you do what they ask, acquiesce to their demands, back off, and end up kicking yourself later when things turn sour. Many of us have trouble saying no. Society has taught us to be compliant. We have to be in order to keep our jobs, the positions, to be accepted, to be liked, Or so we think. People who say no too often are sometimes labeled uncooperative, unlikable, selfish, And perhaps some of them are. 
This may not be relative for people who have healthy boundaries, who know when to say no and when to say yes, and aren't troubled by their decisions. But if you're one of those people who have trouble saying no to things you know you really need to refuse, if you feel overwhelmed by demands, and like you are drowning in unavoidable responsibilities, then this might be for you. Say no to others. Lori Deshin says, you can be a good person with a kind heart and still say no. I used to think that saying no to others was always selfish. It irked me to read those self-help books and articles by writers who seemed to be telling people to reject others and take care of yourself. That sounded terrible to me. If we all had that kind of attitude, then what about the needy people in the world? Who would care for them? We can't just be nice to and take care of the people who deserve it because a lot of the most hopeless or helpless and most annoying, most troubled and most undeserving people are the ones who need it the most. And sometimes those needy people are us. So even if I wanted to behave like that, something in me screamed against the idea. Saying no to other people is wrong. It's irresponsible, unkind, and selfish. But as I grew up, I realized that this was all just a misunderstanding. If you have trouble saying no, remember this. Sometimes saying no to others is not hurtful, but actually helpful. Not just for you, but for them. The parent who says no to a child who wants to eat cookies before dinner is not doing it because they dislike their child, but because they know it's actually a good thing if their child doesn't have cookies before dinner. The friend who says no to binge drinking with another friend is not rejecting that friend, but setting a healthy example that their friend will hopefully admire and live up to. The employee who says no to the boss who's trying to saddle them with extra work is teaching the boss how to treat them, but not only them, all the employees better. The girl who says no to a pushy boyfriend is saving herself and him from doing things they will both regret in the future. What matters is not that you say no, but why you say no, when you say no, and how you say no. So let's explore why you say no. Sometimes no is the kindest word. If you say no to someone else's request purely for selfish reasons, then yeah, you're being selfish. Even if that person's request was made in a selfish spirit, that doesn't automatically give you the right to respond in kind. You being selfish back does not make the situation better. If fulfilling the request truly will benefit them in some way and is something you can do without hurting yourself or others, it might be wise to not say no right away. For instance, Sarah says, When I developed an anxiety disorder, my mom sat and listened to me for hours as I poured out my pain. Sometimes I would keep her up past midnight talking out everything that came in my mind. She would be dozing off and I'd still be trying to work out the knots in my head. Was that selfish of me? Yes. Could my mother have said, no, I can't talk right now, I need to get sleep? Yes. But she didn't. Because she knew that was what I needed at that moment, and she was willing to carry it through for me. 
A lot of people I trusted had dropped me like a hot potato when I first hinted that something was wrong with me. But my mom covered the hurt of their rejection by going over and beyond the call of duty to prove to me through her actions that no matter what, I was loved, that I mattered. Later, though, as I got stronger, my mom would tell me, I can't talk too long tonight because I have to get up early for some reason, and you need to get your sleep too. In that case, she was saying no to late night chat sessions because it was good for her and good for me to get sleep, and we both needed it. I understood and did not blame her or feel bad when she said no because I knew her reasons were legitimate and not given out of selfishness. When you say no, sometimes a no can be more of a not right now, or sometimes a no must be delayed. Not right now could be maybe you're busy doing something else of higher importance or the timing is not right, so you must refuse the request, but only temporarily. In that case, telling the asker your reason may help them understand and be patient. Delayed no, or perhaps you do need to refuse the request, but you shouldn't do it right away. Depending on the situation, saying no to someone can be a little bit like breaking bad news about a death. When you say no to someone, especially if it's an important request, it can be painful for them and for you. Perhaps not as painful as news of a death, but still pretty painful. Maybe the answer has to be no, but this particular moment is not the best time to say no. Timing can be an important part of saying no. Choose the wrong time and you exacerbate the pain of rejection. Choose the right time and you can significantly lessen the potential pain and hurt. Some no's must be stated immediately. Others require a touch of wisdom and good timing. It's up to you to decide when each type is most appropriate in your situation. So how do you say no? Well, Jonathan Price said tone is the hardest part of saying no. Addicts, by definition, have a hard time dealing with substances, and sometimes their family members don't know what to do about that. Some people, unwilling to see their loved ones suffer through withdrawal, help enable the addicts. Others, sick and tired of watching their loved ones destroy themselves, try to give them an ultimatum. Both strategies are rotten. When someone tries to enlist your help in destroying themselves, of course you should say no. But be mindful how you say no. Some parents of rebellious children threaten to disown them in a horribly misguided attempt to keep them in line. That doesn't work either. Even if disowning threats succeed in outwardly keeping the child well-behaved, the resulting broken trust and insecurity will damage them and the relationship. But other parents find ways to discipline their kids and refuse their outrageous request without damaging the relationship or provoking more rebellion. Of course, people make their own choices, and no matter how kind and sensitive you are, you may not always be able to soften hard hearts. There are many ways you can say no to any request in any situation. Why not pick the one most likely to mitigate pain and encourage trust? We know that refusing others can be painful, so we must learn to say no in a way that makes it most likely to be accepted. Learn to refuse a request without being deliberately hurtful. Learn to say no while respecting the other person's feelings. 
Learn to say, I'm sorry, I have to say no. And I know it hurts, and I'll do anything to help you make that hurt better, except for blank. Because you and I both know that this thing is not good for you. And if the asker is rude, pushy, or disrespectful, just adjust your style to be more firm. You do have the right to say no when you know it's the best answer. So don't let anyone manipulate or bully you out of it. Let's face it, at times we all want things we know are bad for us. We watch too much TV, eat too much junk, procrastinate on important tasks, hang out with people who are bad for us, all because we don't know how to say no to ourselves. We need to learn to say no to ourselves. In fact, I think that is the point that those love yourself first self-help writers and speakers are trying to make. The message is not indulge yourself, but love yourself. There's a difference. Loving yourself well does not mean being selfish, nor does it mean being a doormat. It does not mean ignoring everyone and soaking in a bubble bath and eating chocolates all day. It does not mean always letting yourself have your own way. Loving yourself means doing what is actually good for you. It means delayed gratification. It means saying no to those immature, petulant, childish desires that we all have. It means choosing what is best for you in the long term. But we often struggle with saying no to ourselves. In fact, our inability to say no to ourselves is the reason why we're unable to say no to others. We are too self-protective of our egos, and we can't stand other people's disappointment and hurt because it makes us feel bad. We don't want others to say no to us because we don't know how to say no to ourselves. We've never learned how to handle no in a healthy manner. So we say yes to others' request when we know we shouldn't. When you learn how to love yourself, not by indulging yourself, but by saying no to yourself, you will know how to say no to others in a healthy manner as well. Henry Cloud said, our yes has no meaning if we never say no. Saying yes and saying no to yourselves or to others are opposite sides of the same coin. In fact, the point of saying no to some things is so that you can say yes to better things. You only have so much time and resources in this world. Whenever we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else. So instead of focusing on what to say no to, it would be more helpful to focus on what you're going to say yes to. When you say no to a child who wants to eat dessert before dinner, you're saying yes to helping your child develop a healthy habit that will serve them well for years to come. When you say no to a friend who is tempting you to binge drink or try drugs, you're saying yes to sobriety, a clear mind, and your physical and mental health. When you say no to helping an addict access their drug of choice, you're saying yes to preserving that person's life. When you say no to unreasonable requests by your boss, you're saying yes to a healthier work culture and protecting your coworkers from similar requests. When you say no to your desire to binge watch Netflix, instead of working on something more productive, you're saying yes to future accomplishments and peace of mind. When you keep in mind the bigger picture and the ultimate goal, you won't need to feel any guilt for saying no. 
because you know that no is necessary to get the bigger yes. You'll also be less likely to be rude, mean, or inconsiderate when you say no to others because you realize that they don't see the bigger picture yet. When you learn to say yes to the good stuff by saying no to all the other stuff, you will develop clarity in your life and compassion for others. So what are you waiting for? Used at the right time and with the right attitude, no can be your biggest asset as long as you're clear and committed to your yeses. Commit to your yeses and you will never have to fear saying no. Commit to your yeses and you will be able to boldly say no with confidence instead of guilt. Commit to your yeses and you will find that you can use no to increase joy, peace, and health in your life and in the lives of those around you. So you're asked, you muster up the courage to say no, and then what? The silence. That space between your no and their reaction. Torture. In sales, we learn he who speaks first loses. Deliver the news, the pitch, the quote, or the no, and then wait. How much more confident and decisive do you look when you politely decline and then stop? You gave your answer, and that should be enough. Why do you feel compelled to justify your answer? Let's say you have plans, whether you've made these plans weeks ago or just 10 minutes ago. You formulated a plan, potentially committed to someone or something, and you're looking forward to said plans. Then someone asks you to do something out of the blue and you launch into justification and how if you could change them, you would, or even more troublesome, you agree to negotiate your plans to try to fit it all in. Oy! Politely decline. Oh, that sounds fun, but I'm not available. I've already made plans. Silence. I wish I could, but I'm not available on that day. Silence. It's the silence that kills the deal, or makes it. James Seduco shares the science behind why awkward silence works. Here's the science behind why it works, how much of it is really needed, and how to use it effectively. It isn't just about emotional intelligence and knowing when to just stop talking so that you don't damage relationships with coworkers. This is a planned silence to purposely create blank space in a discussion or facilitated meeting. When used strategically and effectively, it can help generate breakthrough ideas or help you negotiate great deals. This kind of silence is really hard for many of us. He says, even himself. A decade ago, I had my first VP-level job in a pretty big global company. One of my job responsibilities was to facilitate top leadership meetings with the C-suite and SVPs related to their leadership team's effectiveness. How they functioned as a leadership team through their planned and unplanned transformation was going to make or break the outcomes they were trying to achieve. These meetings were frequently challenging in terms of content we had to put on the table, as well as the personalities and individual politics that existed. 
James said, I remember one difficult meeting. I met with my boss for feedback. She was a member of the C-suite and at the meeting. In her direct way, she told me that I did a great job, but that I talked too much. I was filling the blanks in for people when the conversation got hard. She finished by telling me that I probably didn't like silence very much, but that I needed to be more comfortable with it. She left me with one sentence I've played in my head for years now. Let there be awkward silence. I took the advice in the spirit it was intended and have continued to apply it with good results. It still doesn't come naturally to me and isn't comfortable for me. I still need the mental prompt. As with many things, I wondered about what was going on here from a science perspective. And as with many things, there is some science behind why I felt and still feel the way I did and do, and why the silence works in terms of generating ideas and stimulating the right conversations. So here's the science of us social humans. There have been a good number of research studies on awkward silence that have generated some interesting findings. Participants in one Dutch study within the last several years said that they felt more anxious, rejected, and less self-assured after some amount of prolonged silence in a difficult discussion. Other studies confirm similar results in different settings, essentially leading us back to the foundation of human beings as social creatures. To boil it down to its most basic levels, silence in challenging situations essentially represents rejection in our minds. And rejection from a social group a long time ago meant bad things for us as individuals. That was certainly the feeling I had in some of those difficult leadership meetings I had to lead years ago. When I took my boss's advice and tried to let there be awkward silence in the subsequent meetings, I'd watch them all staring at me, wanting them to just say something so that I didn't feel like a fool ultimately or be ostracized from the team. The good news from the research is that I wasn't just an insecure new VP. Most of us feel that way after some prolonged silence. We want the conversation so that we feel connected. What does the science say about how long a prolonged silence actually is before it becomes awkward for us? In many cultures, including the United States, it's just four seconds. It's even higher in other cultures based on how much any particular culture values science. But even though four seconds may not feel like much in a group when nobody says anything for a few vital seconds, it can feel painfully long. And that's precisely why it works. Somebody wants to break the silence because of the social anxiety that silence causes. As long as it isn't you breaking that silence and filling in the blanks for someone else, that silence becomes critical because it forces people to reflect longer and more deeply. Through the years, I've learned one simple approach to make this work. I figure out logical places in any presentation I'm making or discussion I'm leading to ask the group about their perspectives on what I've discussed or presented. I then tell them that I'm going to shut up, and I do. I count to 10 in my head. Not surprisingly, I've never had one case where someone didn't start talking within eight seconds, even though it felt like forever in my mind. 
then the conversation usually flows just fine from there. Maybe you should practice that awkward or not so awkward silence now on a friend or spouse first, just to get the feel of it. You would hate to be in that pivotal moment when you need to put your foot down only to cave from lack of practice. As tough as you might be, and as much as you might tell yourself, I don't care what people think about me, that simply isn't true. At a core level, we all want to be liked and accepted. We learned all about disappointment from a very early age and the repercussions from disappointing others. Why would we want to be the cause of someone else's pain? So in the effort to right that wrong, we set out on pleasing those around us as a way to feel validated. When people are happy with me, I'm doing something good. Ouch, that's a very slippery slope. Ulian Onesco helps us with How to Say No, a guide for serial people pleasers found on his blog. In recent times, we've come to equate saying no with being mean. Not directly, but mostly indirectly by equating saying yes with being friendly and therefore when you say no, you must not be very nice. The attitude is not only misguided, but quite damaging to your life in general. Being a people pleaser only works so many times. Yeah, you might get a pat on the back for now, but in the long run, you'll be a mess. That's why learning how to say no and practicing saying no is something we should all strive to do more of. When we were kids, our parents and grandparents had one job, to help us grow into good human beings who would continue their legacy and become upstanding members of our society. Or at least that's the job they should have had. Sadly, many of them don't live up to that job. But those are not the ones I'm talking about. Even if your parents or grandparents didn't truly take on that mission, you met other people who attempted to do so later in life. You encountered teachers, coaches, and other mentors whose job, once again, was to teach you how to be an adult. During these formative years of our lives, one thing that all people had in common was that they all required some level of obedience to a certain extent. Parenting children is not easy. Sometimes you might find yourself saying, don't interrupt me. The truth is, we all receive that message from someone at some point throughout our childhood. I love this quote by Neil deGrasse Tyson. It's paraphrased. We spend the first two years of our child's life teaching them how to walk and talk. And then we spend the rest of their childhood telling them to sit down and shut up. The problem is, that as a child, you're exploring your world. In that process, inevitably, you'll wind up breaking some stuff. Your parents are always there, trying to prevent you from destroying things, and in the process, hurting yourself. So as a child, when you're about to do something that's forbidden, what do your parents do? They shout, no, or stop it. At that moment, the parent isn't thinking that the child is entertaining themselves. But the child interprets that no as squashing their fun and joy. So what message do they get? No means no, which means stop what you're doing, even if you're enjoying it. Your parents saying no to you made you feel bad because they stopped you from doing something you enjoyed. That association between no and the disappearance of pleasure will live with you forever. When you grow up, you'll be reluctant to do the same to others, hence a difficulty in saying no. 
Josh Billings says, half of the troubles of this life can be traced to saying yes too quickly and not saying no soon enough. We were all groomed to please. It's true. It doesn't matter if your kid is the sunshine of every single moment of your life or merely someone you must keep alive. Raising a child is frustrating as it can be. Now and then, you must put your foot down and utter the words, don't you dare say no to me. After all, the parent is the boss, right? Obedience at that age is not only required, but is also rewarded. The rebel child, on the other hand, is punished and reprimanded. As a result, most of us grew up with the idea that saying no to authority is wrong and being bad is, well, not good. That's the first layer that sediments in our brain shortly after seeing the light in this world, and it only gets worse from there. Later, we learn that we can't disagree with our teachers, the police, or bosses, and soon enough, the whole world turns into one prominent place of complacency and acceptance of the status quo. I know what you're thinking. What? Not really. Billy Crawford said, one key to successful relationships is learning to say no without guilt so that you can say yes without resentment. Think about that for a minute. You see, rebelling against authority, which begins with your parents, is something most of us eventually grow up doing. We even oppose our teachers and much later our bosses. Soon enough, we all gain a voice one way or another. Some are loud and others are less. Some turn aggressive, others try to be logical. Eventually, we all learn how to tread the boundaries in our lives and try hard to shake away those things that our ancestors embedded in our brains. But deep down, inside the most primitive part of our brain lies two concepts that can turn our lives upside down. Pain and pleasure. You see, most of the things that you found painful in your formative years still feel painful today. You may not react to them in the same way, and they may not deter you from your actions in a way they used to, but the emotions behind them are still there. As a result, we're in a constant race to avoid pain and seek pleasure. Some people understand that to grow, they must change, and to change, pain is unavoidable. Those people will take the helm of some aspects of their lives and affect those changes through thick and thin. Stephen Covey says, you have to decide what your highest priorities are and have the courage pleasantly, smiling, and not apologetically to say no to the other things. And the way to do that is by having a bigger yes burning inside. Value yourself. Your values and beliefs shape your behavior and attitudes. To stand up for something in your life, you must first understand what those are. Armed with that knowledge, you must continue to define your life's vision and purpose. That means deciding what you want and what you don't want. Without those crystal clear ideas, it isn't easy to define who you are. Once you know who you are and what you want in life, your value as a human begins to shape up. Of course, we all have value, 
But it's not until we realize what it is and accept it that we start to value ourselves. When you accept your value and care for it, you will then expand that circle to include the people in your life that are important to you. You're now defining your priorities and building clarity about what is critical in your life and what is not. Your value is no longer defined by what others think of you through the prism of what you do for them, but it's an intrinsic value that exists within you. That is the first vital step to understanding why you must say yes and why you must say no. Be clear about your priorities. It's not enough to merely understand your value and have vision. You must continue that path by defining proper goals and working toward them with deliberate, consistent, massive action. As you create those goals, you shine a brighter light on those things that are important in your life. Your priorities become evident and everything else that is not a priority now becomes a red alarm. As you work towards your goals and dreams, your self-confidence grows. Your judgment and decision-making process improves over time. Anything non-essential in your life starts to be so obvious, you'll wonder if you were blind before. To some extent, you were. Setting up priorities in all areas of your life is the second paramount step you must take before you can safely break from the people-pleasing clause and learn how to say no. Say the word no. No means no, right? Practicing saying no in a direct yet non-aggressive manner. The word no itself is quite scary, and I speak as a serial people-pleaser myself. But the more you keep sugarcoating your no with layers of, I really, I'm not sure, perhaps, and so on, you're weakening your boundaries. The person who's asking you to do things will smell blood and keep pushing until you cave. Say the word no directly and clearly. Don't leave room for interpretation and don't try to soften the blow of the no by adding a pleasant layer to it. Just accept that it will be unpleasant for everyone. But it's for the right reasons. Don't be nice, be polite. There's a difference between being nice because you don't want to hurt other people's feelings and being polite. When someone asks you to do something and you know that you shouldn't, saying no is the right thing to do. But as you do so, you can empathize with that person. By showing that you understand what they need and why they need it, you create a connection. When you set up your boundaries, you earn the respect of the other person. By politely saying no, your bond becomes more robust despite you refusing to do what they asked. That's because the other person understands your value and most importantly knows that you understand your value. Don't provide meaningless reasons. Have you ever decided to say the dreaded no, but started with, I'm sorry, but uh, stop that. Why are you apologizing for something that you know is right? You've defined your priorities, you know your value, and you know what is essential. If this situation requires you to say no because of those reasons, you don't have to apologize. You don't have to fabricate reasons because then you'd be lying. Instead, be authentic, say no, and leave it at that. Especially don't make stuff up. 
as it all will end up biting you later. Hold your position. Many a time, the people who demand things from you do so very insistently. Often they approach you persistently and even aggressively, and they may not take no lightly. Don't fall for that. They're simply testing your boundaries. In the beginning, those moats you set up around your life to provide protection won't be strong enough. The walls you created are young and vulnerable. You might falter. You might fall back and give in. That's okay. It's just part of your practice. You must learn how to push back when being pushed back. Saying no will often be followed by questions, demands, pleading, threats, what have you. That will happen especially if you have a history of people-pleasing. If your brand is one of the yes ma'am, it will be hard to shake it with just one no. But keep it going. Keep practicing. Hold on to your horses and don't give in. Being selfish is not being mean. A lot of times saying no seems selfish. Sometimes you feel like you have the time and energy to do something that someone has asked you, so saying no would be inappropriate. That's okay. You should be selfish with your time and energy. You must use those to work on your goals and vision and support those you care about. Being selfish with the unimportant is not being mean. Although it might feel that way, keep practicing, and in time, you will start to feel the shift in your mindset. You are not mean, but focused. You are not careless. Instead, you're caring toward the things and the people that matter to you. Make space to say yes. The more you say no, the more you push back against the things that are not aligned with your vision and priorities in life, the more opportunities will open for you to say yes. As you gain control of your life and allow your value to expand and to fill the gap that was once created by others' wants and needs, you create space for yourself and those you truly care about. Saying no to the unimportant and non-essential is the absolute best tool you can have to identify and allow situations to appear when you can say yes. When you do say yes, then you will invite those things that matter the most. You will help those you love and care about, and you will grow. If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they are not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, consider your own feelings, interests, and capacity when evaluating an ask. Be confident in your decision to deliver a no in a kind and thoughtful way. No doesn't mean never, but for today, you're saying no to make room for your own yes. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. I stumbled through until the path was clear.